Our sermon today is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of God. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of the God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening without not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good, thus says the Lord. Thank you, Jeanette. Friends, let's pray before we enter into our sermon. Father, we beg you now that you would show us Jesus, and that as we open your word, we'd see what you're offering to us on that cross, and not only eternal salvation embraced by you, but also a way of life now as we embrace you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, it's good to be here. Um, I think my mic might be a tad bit loud. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm hearing in the back here. But friends, it's good to have you here. If you're a, a, a visitor, welcome to CCC. I'd love to meet you after the service. Please come up to me. Uh, would love to get to know you. I can answer some questions you might have about the church or whatnot. If you're a returning uh, visitor or you're a member, it's always good to be worshiping with you in this Lord's Day. So we're going to continue in our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. We only have about three more sermons left. Not sure what the next series is going to be like. One sermon left? <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yeah, so maybe this will be uh, uh, second to last. And uh, we'll let you know what, what our next uh, series will be uh, maybe next week. But um, this chapter in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, as if the book of Ecclesiastes hasn't been vague enough, this one, I think, is the most cryptic one yet, at least I, that I've preached and it touches on the same general points that the whole book has preached, uh, has talked about, and that is really just the human need to control, right? We have this need to control, and and the book touches on it from different angles. And the, throughout the whole book, Solomon's pretty much been trying to tell us that the fool lives their life pretending to be like they're in control. They pretend uh, to be in control. It's as if their money, right? Chapter one. Is as if their money, their money can can make them control how people view them. For example, maybe that's true. It might have managed your image to particular people, but not to the ones who matter. Your spouse and your kids weren't fooled. They know. And then you build a legacy, and and that's great. You've controlled possibly uh, the, the the possibility of your name being known uh, for years to come. But you know what? You'll eventually die, and people might remember you for a few generations. But then, as Solomon says, let the earth spin long enough, you'll be forgotten. Maybe for you, the way to control life isn't by storing up money for yourself. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe it's intellect. You think that's gonna give you control? But yet, you observe life and you see doctors get sick and die, just like their patients do, with all their medical knowledge. Psychologists and counselors with all their emotional insights get hurt and even sometimes depressed like their clients do. 
So what do we do? When life makes us face the hard reality that we're actually not in control, what do we do? Chapter 2, we try to control the pain and anxiety of being out of control with humor and alcohol. But go ahead, laugh and drink as much as you want, he says. Those things can't tame life. All it does is make you forget how wild it is for a split second. Then chapter three, forget controlling life in general. You don't even have control over the seasons of your own life. You didn't plan the day you're going to be born. You might have planned your wedding date, but you didn't plan the day you're going to fall in love. You didn't plan the day you're going to fall out of love. How about the day the dollar peaks or when the market drops, changing your entire income and lifestyle in a matter of hours? How about the day you die? Chapter 4, you can't control the injustices and the evils of this world. Chapter 7 to 8, you can't control God and his mysterious ways, and it goes on and on and on. But we don't want to admit that. We spend our lives trying to sell ourselves the lie that we're in control. Because, why? It's too nerve-wracking. It's too nerve-wracking to admit the future is not this bright-lit road, but rather a dark unknown. So we manage that anxiety and spend our lives trying to take control. And Solomon here in chapter 11 is saying, don't. That's unwise. Living life, trying to control it, will end up make you not living at all. That's what this chapter is all about. There's three things I want to point out. Point number one, letting the unknown affect our decisions today. Point two, should free us to truly live every day. Point three, given that we know the one who holds tomorrow. Letting the unknown affect our decisions today should free us to truly live every day, given that we know the one who holds tomorrow. Let's move on to point number one. Letting the unknown affect your decisions today. Okay, in this first point, I want to go through verses one to three, but I only want to focus on one aspect of verses one to three. And then later in point number two, I'm going to go through verse one to three again, but I'm going to look at another aspect of verses one to three. Okay, so so let's start with the first thing I want to point out from verses one to three. Let's look at, take a look at what Solomon says in verse one to two. Cast your bread upon the water, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what a disaster may happen on earth. You know, we say that it's wise to only make decisions based on the data that you know. And I agree. There is much wisdom to that. Okay? Known, predictable, observable data should dictate the way we make our decisions. For example, it'd be silly for me to suddenly not go to work and take a whole month off without notice because here's the known, observable data that you'll probably get fired. Or if you own your own company, you'll upset a lot of partners and a lot of other people. It'd be silly for me to walk off a 50-story building with no support because the observable known data informs us that gravity is going to pull you down. So don't do it. It'd be silly for me to binge watch Netflix all night before an exam because the observable data will inform me that my brain will be dead in the morning. You see? Yes, wisdom requires that we make decisions in this life based on known data. Of course, of course. But look at the advice in verses 1 to 2. Solomon says, there's a lot of data you don't know. When you cast your bread on moving water, you have no control where it goes. The future is unknown. But yet, that unknown future shouldn't cause you to inaction, but rather to action, cast away. 
although the waters is unknown, cast away. Verse 2, you don't know if disaster is going to come in the future. But yet, that future unknown should somehow inform and affect the way you decide decisions today. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. The unknown future should dictate how we live today. And I was tempting to read verses 1 and 2 and think it's like investment language, right? Like verse 1 is talking about savings. You cast your bread in the waters and then it'll come back someday like Arisan, you know? Like you cast your bread and then I don't know how to explain Arisan to those who are it's, it's It's like savings. You, you put money in a pot. Everybody puts money. You get it. It's weird. It's fun. Um, it's fun. It is. Um, but it's not. It's not like savings. It's not like Harisan. It, it's tempting to read verse 2, like his advice from the Godfather, right? Give a portion of your bread to others. You know, I do you favor, you do me favor kind of thing, right? That, that's not what it's talking about, okay? Um, um, it, it's saying, cast, give away. Not so that you can control the unknown future, not that you can so that you can build up savings or that you can build up favor so that the future can be more controllable to you. No. It's saying cast and give because the future is uncontrollable and is unknown. Let's I know that's confusing, just stay with me. Cast and give because the future is unknown. Like the way of the waters, like the appearance of sudden earthquakes, the future unknown should make you want to give. Why? Why? We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that today uh, in point two. Now, as if that's not confusing enough, go on to verse three. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. You read that, and at first you're like, when it's cloudy, it's going to rain. Profound. And you're like, okay, like that's very obvious. When a tree falls, it's going to stay there. Wow, Solomon, like good insight there. So so there's these duh moments, and that's what he's trying to point out, that yes, some things are duh moments. Some things are predictable, some things are obvious, some things are inevitable. Okay, you can observe the data. When it gets cloudy, it's going to rain, so bring an umbrella. That's wise. And when the tree falls to the north or the south, wherever it falls, it's going to stay there. It's predictable, it's obvious, it's inevitable. It's wise to make decisions based on obvious known data. But notice the direction of the tree and how it falls is two completely different directions to the north or to the south, two opposing ends. That's intentional. That's how wisdom literature works. It's a way for him to say, yes, if it falls, it's going to stay there, but who knows which way it's going to fall, the north or the south? You don't know. So yes, in life, there are simple, obvious, predictable data you can make decisions out of, but just look at life with honest lenses for a second, and a lot of it is not simple. A lot of it is not obvious. A lot of it is not predictable. Some of you can explain to me the ins and outs of the stock market and how to invest money wisely based on the changing uh, market that we have, but yet you can't tell me why the cashier line you choose in food hall always seems to be the longest one. You can tell me all there is to know about counseling theories all the way from Freud to Jay Adams. But it's been years, and you still can't fully predict and make sense why your spouse and kids react the way they do. How many natural disasters happened uh, in Indonesia last year? I think about 2,000. You think all of them were predicted? How about plane crashes? How about insidious, heartbreaking terrorist attacks like the one that recently happened? How about deaths? Here's the point. 
There's two foolish ways to make decisions in life. There's two foolish ways. One is by not looking at the data you know. There's obvious data. Look at them. When it's dark, it's going to rain. One is by not looking at the data you know. Two is by looking only at the data you know. It's foolish to look only at the data you know, as if all of life is predictable. Another way to say it is this. The wise person makes today's decisions based on the fact that some things in life are predictable, but also based on the fact that many things in life is unpredictable. And look, I know we can't make everyday decisions based on the fact that you or someone else might die tomorrow, okay? So on one hand, it's wise to make decisions based on real-life facts. So if the data says it's unlikely for somebody to die tomorrow, don't cling onto their ankles and cry everywhere they go. That's weird. Don't say goodbye every time they walk into an, an elevator. Okay, That's weird. People might think you have a personality disorder because likely they're not going to die. A wise person makes decisions based on real facts. But on the other hand, a wise person also takes into account the fact anything could happen. You don't know the way the water is going to flow. You don't know if a disaster is going to hit. You don't know which way the tree might fall. You don't know. You don't really know. Not 100%, do you? That when you kiss your daughter tonight, you're going to get to kiss her again tomorrow night. You don't. Okay, it's unlikely. But if there's even the slightest possibility that when you hug your husband or wife today, that'll be the last time you ever hug them. You don't. How is that unknown information going to affect the way you live today? Are you going to check out and watch TV as much as you plan to? Sure, it's unlikely. But if this be the last time I preach, if this is the last time I get to preach about my Jesus as a dying man to dying men, how is that going to change the vigor in which I preach from? Okay, it's unlikely, but after this sermon, we're all going to sing a song of response. What if? What if that's the last time you get to sing and proclaim the majesty of your Savior to the world through song? How is that going to change and affect the way you sing? A wise human being who realizes their limitation as a mere creature makes decisions based on the data that they know, but also based on the fact that there's a lot they don't know. They let the future unknown inform the way they live their life today. That's wisdom. Have you been a wise creature? Or have your decisions in how you spend your time and money and your loves, have they been formed by the lie you've been selling yourself? And I sell myself a lot that we have this life under control. And, you know, we live our lives believing that lie, that, that certain things uh, 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 can, can be under our control or all things can be under control. And then, and then some things happen that pops our bubbles. A plane crashes, an earthquake happens, someone dies. And for a split second, for a split second, we stop buying into that lie and we realize we're very much not in control. And you know what we feel? You know what we feel when we realize that? Fear and anxiety. And you know what we often do when we feel scared and anxious about the future, we're led to becoming frantic hoarders. We save, we save, we save, we keep, we keep, we keep to retain some kind of control and security in this random lawless universe. But see, the Bible is suggesting a different response. If, if the unknown future causes you to hoard, 
Solomon is saying here, you're going to miss on living out. You're going to miss on living out. Letting the unknown affect the way we live today should, second point, free us to truly live every day. Here's where I want to go back to verses 1 and 2. Look at the second aspect of, of, of these two verses. We've addressed the fact that Solomon's saying the future unknown should play a factor into how we live today. Okay, we got that part. But how? How should the future unknown affect the way we live today? Look at the action verb beginning in verse 1. Cast your bread. Cast, send out, don't keep. Then look at the beginning of verse 2. Give a, give a portion to 7 or 8. Give, let go. By the way, the number 7 and 8 isn't just literally seven or eight portions. It's, it's meaning seven is a whole number. It represents fullness in, in the Bible. So seven or even eight means give to the nth degree. Keep giving more than what's whole. Solomon's saying the fact that you don't know the future, the fact that your life on earth could end at any time, you know what that should encourage you to do? Give. Give. Now that's a total opposite advice we'd hear from the world. The world would say because the future is unknown, save. Keep things for yourself. Anything could happen. Solomon's saying the exact opposite. Because the future is unknown, cast away. Give. You can die anytime, so give it away. You don't know when you're going to die, when this stream will end, when disaster might hit. You don't know how much longer you have, so live your life. Live it to the fullest. How? By giving. It does something to your heart, you know? Giving. See, you, you read the first few chapters of Ecclesiastes, and what do you see? You see Solomon as the master of all hoarders. He, that's what he's been telling us. I've built mansions. I've collected riches. I have all the food in the world. I have hundreds of concubines. I have all the alcohol you can wish for. Mary Kondo wouldn't know what to do with my closet. I have all of it. Now he looks back and says, what a terrible use of my short time on earth. That is not the way to live. My whole life, my whole life, I've experienced the security of saving. I've experienced the vanity of success. I've experienced the comforts of sex. I've experienced the depths of alcohol. And I've experienced the highest thrills of comedy. But I haven't truly lived. You know what's better than all that? He's saying here. You know what feeling is better than the state of security, the rich experience? What feeling is better than the state of affluence that the successful experience? What feeling is better than the state of elation that the sexually active experience? What feeling is better than the state of repression that the substance abuser experience? It's the feeling of the state of blessedness that the giver experiences. It's better than all of that. Give cast. You don't know what's going to happen. Don't die before you enter into that state. Paul's quote of Jesus in Acts chapter 20, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, what Jesus meant isn't give so that you can get something back in return. That's not really giving. What Jesus is saying, give, give, because the state of giving is a blessed state to be in. You know what people say, man, until you travel to this one place, you haven't really lived. Until you do this one activity, you haven't really lived. Until you try to eat in this Michelin star restaurant, you haven't really lived. Here's what Jesus is saying and what Solomon's saying. Until you've experienced the blessed state of being a giver, you haven't really lived. You haven't. Let me read a quote from one of the commentators on the book of Ecclesiastes on this chapter. This is what he says. 
Some of us hold our money very tightly. Panic and fear sets in when we see the savings dwindle. You can begin to pry your fingers open if you give money away. Seems terribly hard at first. But as you give, you become rich to God. Others find it's our time. I need me time, we say. I'm an introvert. I have to be alone to recharge. But actually, what you'll find if you start having others in your space is that you cope. You won't need an ambulance. The world doesn't end. You survive. And as you give give to others who are more needy than you, as you die to yourself in the process, you will find that actually new life is growing in your heart, the kind of new life you weren't expecting to even be looking for. And I get that. I get that each of us have different financial situations and have different personality bents. But if those things lead you to say, okay, based on my financial state and my personality, how much am I supposed to give? If that's the question you're asking, you're still missing the point. You're still viewing giving as merely a responsibility you have to do and not a blessed state that you get to be in. You have one life under the sun, Solomon's saying. Don't waste it. By being satisfied with too little, anything could happen. So don't die before you experience the blessed life that only a giver, a caster away, can experience. Now, I know it's the most skeptical thing when pastors say things like this. It is. I get it. But will you trust me? Will you trust me that when I say a big reason why we ask you to serve at church is, yes, to meet the needs of the church, but another big reason why we're asking you to serve is for your sake. So that you may grow toward that state of blessedness that you won't experience otherwise. Give your resources away. Give your life away. Mercy Ministry volunteers. We're going to have um, a session soon with, with these kids from the orphanage. And be honest, how many times has it been when you, you signed up for that on that sheet and you woke up that morning and you, you just didn't want to go? It was so hard to get out of bed. It was. It is. It will be. But then how many times do you go to that event, you serve those kids, you see their smiling faces and their laughters, and then you leave saying, I'm so glad I went. You feel blessed. Community group members, how often does Thursday nights or even sometimes Saturdays, every other Saturday, feel so hard to get out of the house for? And from work, you just want to go straight home, but, but you want to give. And those who lead community groups, you want, to, you want to give your life away to that group and you want to contribute to them. It's so hard to go, but then after you go, every time, you, almost every time you say, I'm so glad I went. My heart grew a little. <laughs> How many times have you had an opportunity to talk to a friend in need? It's so hard to get yourself to get to it, but then after the conversation, you said, I'm so glad I went. John 12, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, here it is, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's more to this verse we're going to talk about later, but for now, I want to pay attention to the rule of life there. Jesus is saying, you love your life, you keep, 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 you hoard, hoard, hoard. That's not what life is meant to be. You think you're gaining, you're actually losing. The principle here is that giving is not just an act done to others, it's an act you do to yourself. When you increasingly give, your heart will increasingly grow. Here's here's the things that will happen, and I think you've experienced bits of this before. Your self-interest will no longer become the main agenda of your life. You'll actually find your heart starting to cheer others on instead of competing with them all the time. 
You won't have this tiresome demand of expecting your lifestyle to increase every time your salary increases. That's tiring. And you'll find contentment and simplicity. And you'll feel ownership and connectedness to your community that you've never felt before. You'll live. For us to say that the command to give is merely a rule to follow is like a fish saying the command to go back to water is just a rule to follow. It's not. It's loving instructions to truly live. Fish were originally created to experience life to the fullest in water, not in land. Humans were originally created to experience life to the fullest as giving conduits, not as bank vaults. That's not our original design. That's not how we're created. Give your energy to gardening this garden, Adam. Give it away, God says. Give your creativity to cultivating culture on this earth, Adam. Give it away. Give your time to nurture beauty where I've placed you, Adam. Give your heart to this woman, Adam. Give your life for my glory, Adam. We're designed originally to give, to cast, to sow, to empty ourselves for others and for the glory of God. To live otherwise is not freedom, it's death. But what stops us? What stops us from moving in this journey towards experiencing the blessed state of the giver to truly living? It's rarely the lack of resources that we have in this moment, is it? Rather, as addressed in the first point, it's anxiety of the future unknown. Okay, I, if you look at my bank account now, I actually have quite a bit to give away. But, but what if I need it in the future? People who have 1 million rupee on their account say the same thing that with people who have 10, mil, 10 billion rupee on their account. It's the same line. The issue isn't the lack of current resources. It's, the issue is the future unknown. What stops us? How about our time? Okay, yes, if you look at my schedule now, I have a few hours to give throughout the week. I can meet with this one person that's needing a friend. But what if I do this now and then that person expects me to do it again in the future? You see, the issue isn't the lack of current resources. It's, it's we're anxious of the unknown future expectations that this one act might create. It's a future unknown. And often that fear can be so strong, it's paralyzing. Look at verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. See, back then, they didn't have weather forecasts like we do today. And oftentimes, farmers, they'd, they'd, they'd put their seeds down on the ground, and out of nowhere, a strong wind just comes and blows the seed away. You never know. And all the seed would be gone, and, and their harvest is gone. Or unexpected weather conditions could suddenly appear and destroy the crop. So what does a farmer in this analogy do in, in verse 4? He or she does nothing. Paralyzed because of the future unknown. I understand, Solomon says. The fear of the unknown future can be so strong, it's paralyzing. So... We take matters into our own hands. We heap and hoard for ourselves. We rob ourselves from truly living the way we're designed to live. We rob others of the blessings that we're called to give them. And we rob God of the glory he should get from our lives. From the time and the money and the talents and the gifts and the life he's given us here on earth, meant for him. That's what happens. It happens to me every day. So what's the answer? What's the answer? How can the future unknown not be so paralyzing? Last point. Letting the unknown affect our decisions today, point one, should free us to truly live every day, point two, 
given that we know the one who holds tomorrow. Point three. Letting the unknown affect our decisions today should free us to truly live every day given that we know the one who holds tomorrow. Look at verse five. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. See, there's this, there's someone who knows the unknown, Solomon's saying. There's someone who knows all the ins and outs and how all things work, like the way the bones, the bones of a child is made. We may have scans that observe them, but we don't have full control over that. Even the most advanced vitro, in vitro fertilization processes can't guarantee 100% success because at the end of the day, it's not up to the doctor's control. What happens? Which egg gets fertilized? But God knows. He knows all those minute details that we can never know. And not only does he know, he's the one, look at the end of verse 5, who makes them. He makes everything. He's not only aware of the unknown future, but he's the one who writes it. The dark road up ahead, unlit to us, is clear as day to him who drew it with his own fingertips. Okay? But that doesn't help me. If he knows and I don't know, how does that help me? Plus, you know, I can't say that him and I are on good speaking terms right now. Because like you said, I've been living my life, for the most part, for me. Ignoring him and his will, mainly for myself. How does the fact that he holds a future on his fingertips help me, who feel distant to him oftentimes because of my sin, soothe my anxiety of the future unknown? Well, I want to revisit a verse I mentioned earlier of Jesus' words and kind of summarize our passage, right? John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life keeps, 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 loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Remember I said that's the rule of life. Love your life on earth, you'll lose it. Hoard, you'll actually be dying. You're dead. Because that's not the way life is meant to be lived. But see, who here can say, who here can say, I've hated my life on earth. I've given it all away. I've counted it as nothing if I can only glorify God and serve others. Who here can say that? Who here can say, I've casted my bread away. I've given my portions to others because I love the feeling of being in the state as a blessed giver. I love the feeling of being this conduit of blessing for others and being emptied out for the glory of God. None of us can. We all have loved our life on earth more than we should. We've made ourselves our main interest. None of us are rich to God in ourselves. And because of that, none of us are deserving of eternal life. But here's the great news. When Jesus said that verse, the main point wasn't to tell us what the rule of life is. That wasn't the main, main point, you see. The main point was to inform us of what he's about to do for us. When he said, if a grain of wheat dies, it'll bear much fruit, he wasn't ultimately talking about, about us. He was talking about himself referring to his own death. That one day, he's going to give his life away. One day, he's going to empty himself out. Where? On a cross. What happened on that cross? Jesus casted away all his earthly possessions. He laid down all of his earthly honor. 
He disrobed himself from all of his garments. He gave his life away. Why? To take upon himself the punishment that hoarders like us deserve. God who possessed all things, loved us, came down to us in the person of Jesus and gave everything so that hoarders like us who's robbed him of what is rightfully his may not die the death we deserve, but rather have life eternal. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You see, now what does the cross do? How does knowing that soothe our anxieties of the future? Does God tell us every detail about the future through it? No. The cross doesn't soothe us from the future unknown by telling us what the future holds. It soothes us from the future unknown by assuring us that the one who holds the future upon his fingers is also holding you in his arms. The Christian doesn't know the details of what the future holds, but he knows the one that holds the future is holding them in his arms, not because they deserve it, but because of mercy and grace. His nail-driven, cross-ridden, gracious, upholding arms holding you. That's why verse 6, he said, sow your seeds in the morning and then throughout the day, don't fold your hands, don't be lazy, keep at it. Give, give, cast away, live. The Christian says, come what may, I will give. And I will cast aside my life for the glory of the Lord God Almighty who was slain for me. Highest praises, honor, and glory be unto your name. Find comfort in the cross, Christian. Give, give, cast away, sow, live, truly live. Push to enter into the blessed of life that only the giver experiences. Not because doing so earns you eternal life, but because God has given you eternal life when he let go of his on that cross. So now, you may not know what the future holds, but on the cross, you know the one who holds it will forever hold you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for falling into the sin that the book of Ecclesiastes has pointed out throughout the whole book, that we want to be our own gods. We want to control our life. We want to deny the reality that we are mere creatures and that we have limitations of information and control. And we want to take matters into our own hands and, and, and secure our own future and hoard and hoard and hoard and keep and save. But Father... That's not how we're meant to live. Give us this day the assurance that we may have been running away from you all our lives. We may have been living for ourselves all our lives, but in your mercy and grace, show us Jesus, Father, that on the cross, he died for hoarders like us so that he can hold us forevermore. Thank you for this mercy and grace and let that dictate the way we live today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.